Aren't you grateful for our worship team? That, that when, when we come and we gather, we don't just sing songs, but we proclaim who Jesus is. We proclaim his presence, and I, I love that about our church. I'm so grateful to be a part of a church where we gather in the presence of God. If you have your journals, go ahead and grab those. If you have one of these, open it up to page 14. If you don't have one of these, I want to encourage you to grab one. It's a great way for you to connect with Jesus, to experience his presence during the week. It's a great devotional resource. There's scriptures in there that you can read every day, uh, questions about applying those scriptures to your life. And then at the end of each week, there's discussion questions you can talk about with your friends, your neighbors, the person next to you and on the airplane, whatever the case may be. But, but there's something you may not know about these, even if you've used them a lot, if there's if they're something you've used before. There's something you may not know about these, which is that these are not just devotional resources. They are, but they're more than that. These journals are actually an intentional, comprehensive strategy to change your life. These journals are an intentional, comprehensive strategy to change your life. See, as a church, we are here to realize our role in God's story. That's what it says right there. Realize your role in God's story. This is what we are. We are a, a community of people seeking to realize our role in God's story together. We want to be shaped by God, transformed more and more into who God wants us to be. It's what the Bible calls discipleship. And, and so we've decided, we said, hey, we got, if this is what we're all about is realizing our role in God's story. What is God's story? Don't we need to know what God's story is? So if you are in the journal on page eight, you'll see the seven parts of the story that are right there for you. And, and if we want to realize our role in God's story, not only do we need to know what the story is, don't we need to know what our role in it is? Now, there are lots of different roles in God's story, right? And some are very specific and unique to us. I am uniquely called to be my wife's husband. Nobody else has that calling. Okay, it shouldn't even be a question in your mind. That's a unique calling to me, right? But there, there are some roles that are universal, some roles that every, everybody who believes in Jesus is fulfilling at any given time. Those are what we call nine essential roles, nine essential roles. And so if you go to page 10, those nine essential roles are listed right there in the journal. And if you follow these journals and these journals will ensure that we connect with and grow in our understanding of each part of God's story, and that we connect with and grow in each of our roles in God's story. Anybody remember what the first color journal was we started a couple years ago? Anybody remember? It was orange. It was wisdom. If you started in orange and you continue through purple, you will have read over 1,500 Bible verses in over 60 books of the Bible, 61 books of the Bible. You go through. So this, this is a great devotional resource, but it's also an intentional, comprehensive strategy to actually change your life. So we encourage you to pick them up. And this is how we design our teaching series. So if you go over to page 14, you'll see, um, you'll see a, a, slide, a page that, that lists all the nine roles like this. And it, and it has follower uh, with a, a swatch, color swatch over it because today we're talking about what it means to be a follower because if we want to be believers in Jesus, we want to be followers of Jesus, we have to understand what it means to be a follower. And this is important to talk about because I think there are, it's easy to have some misconceptions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's normal, there's some misconceptions. I, there was a point in my life where if you asked me what a follower of Jesus was, I would say a follower of Jesus is a person who has set up from very strict rules around their lives so that they can be better than everybody else. 
That was my understanding of a follower of Jesus. Maybe you have that definition yourself. Maybe you have another definition. But if we want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, who do you think we should talk to? Jesus, right? I mean, if you, had, if you were starting people and people were following you, would you want them to go talk to everyone else about what it means to follow you? No, you want them to come directly to you. So we're gonna look at what some of the words Jesus has to say about it, what it means for us to be a follower. So you can go to John chapter 17 if you have your Bibles here with us. That's where we're gonna be today. But before we do, I do wanna pray because we just sang this song about how God is present in this place. And I think it's really important that we remember that that means that God wants to speak to our hearts. And I don't know if you've ever really experienced that. I don't know if that's ever been a thought in your mind, that when you come to church, when you're sitting here right here today, it's not just some guy up here speaking or some person up here speaking, but that God himself actually wants to deliver a message in your heart. And so I wanna pray, I wanna invite you to just open yourself up to that really, to believe that God himself is speaking today. And listen for what he wants to say to you. Would you pray with me? Well, Lord, um, that the, the lyrics from that song, God, that keep resonating in my heart is, I'm not enough. And so I, I just confess, God, I'm, I'm, I'm not enough. I'm not what anybody here needs, God. I'm not enough. But the next part of that verse, let's just stop there. It says, unless you meet with us, and I believe you are here, and I believe that you are enough, God. So we open ourselves to you, and we, we, we believe that you are going to speak, that you have spoken, that you are speaking. So open our ears to what you want to say today, God. And I pray if there's anything, any thought in my head, any, any, any thought, any words on my mouth that are not of you, that you would, you would just obliterate them, God, with your Holy Spirit. You would take away every insufficiency and that you would speak and be sufficient this morning. You are all we need. It's in your name we pray, amen. The book of John was written by a guy, not surprisingly, named John. And John was a a guy who knew Jesus. He was a friend of Jesus. He walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, saw Jesus, do stuff, heard Jesus and, and eventually he was punished for his faith in Jesus. And so what he did was he wrote down his experiences with Jesus in this book that is now part of our Bible. And he tells in John chapter 17, he's talking about the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night that his, one of his best friends betrayed him and then he was arrested and then eventually he was crucified. And John tells us that, that in this, on this night, one of the things Jesus did was he began to pray. And one of the first things he started to pray for was he started to pray for the, the mission that God was accomplishing through him, what God wanted to do. And, and then he started praying for those 12 disciples that were in the room with him. He started to pray for them. Now, wouldn't that be cool to be there? Imagine what that would be like to be one of the 12 disciples and Jesus starts praying over you, how awesome would that be? Wouldn't that be amazing to know that? Now, if, um, well, let, let's jump in and, and, and read, starting in verse 20. He's prayed for his mission, he's prayed for the disciples, and then he says this, my prayer is not for them alone, 
I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Guess what? That means Jesus did actually pray for you. Jesus prayed for you. Jesus prayed for you. He looked through time and space and he saw your face. He saw you sitting here at Mountain Park. He, knows, he knew your name and he said, I'm going to pray for you right now. Now, why, what does that say about Jesus? What does it say about Jesus that he prayed for us? Well, well, what does it say when we pray for anyone? When you pray for someone, it shows what? That they matter to you, right? You pray for someone because you care about them. You pray for them because they're important to you. Why else? You pray for someone because you want something to happen in their life. That there's some, an outcome, something you want God to do in their life. There's some, something that you're praying for them. Jesus is the same way. He prayed for you here today, people of Mountain Park. He prayed for you because you matter to him, because you're important to him. He prayed for you because there's something he wants to happen in your life. He has a vision and a thought in his heart of what God wants to do in your life, and he prayed for that. Now, if you're here and you don't know what you believe about Jesus, or you think that Jesus was just a, a good teacher or a solid human being that you'd like to be on the soccer team with, he's a nice guy, he was a, a, maybe a religious reformer, then this prayer probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you. I mean, it's, it's just sort of a nice, happy sentiment of this guy who was praying for some sort of just wishful, nice, happy thoughts for some people way in the future. But if, like me, you believe that Jesus is God incarnate, that, that, that all things were made through him and by him, that all things hold together in him. If you believe that he loved you enough to die for your sins, that he was powerful enough to conquer death, if you believe that's who Jesus is, then his prayer for you matters, doesn't it? Don't you wanna know what your Lord and Savior prayed for you? What his heart for you is? So let me ask you, what do you think Jesus prayed for you? Some of you know the answer because you've read ahead in the book. But just think for a second, what do you think Jesus prayed for? What do you think when Jesus looked at Mountain Park, he, he's thinking of Mountain Park way in the future, what do you think that he prayed for you? Oh God, please help Mountain Park to get their act together. Please help Mountain Park, please help, people, help them to just follow their hearts, God. What do you think he prayed for you? Let's look. Picking up. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me, for you here today, that all of them, this is what he prayed, this is Jesus praying for you, that all of them, all of those people at Mountain Park may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I've given them, I have given them, not futures, I have, and he's talking about you here today. I have given the people of Mountain Park the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, then, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Father, I want those you have given me 
to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus' prayer for you is not about performance. It's not about perfection. It's about connection. See, for many people, religion is a, it's a series of rules and regulations that, that are designed to help you become a better person. But Jesus' heart for you is so much deeper than behavior management. Jesus' heart for you is to have a deep and abiding connection with your heavenly Father, with him, with Jesus, and with other believers. That's his heart for you, that you have this deep and abiding with connection. Following Jesus, it's, not, uh, it's, about, it's about allowing God to have influence in our life. My wife says that Christianity is a relationship with God that changes who you are, how you think, and how you live. I think that's a pretty good definition. Christianity is a relationship with God that changes who you are, how you think, and how you live. And that relationship that changes you, that relationship, it is fed. It is cultivated. It is grown. It is pruned. It is, it is completed. It is expressed through our relationship with other believers. Those two things are not separable. They're completely inseparable. Christianity is inherently communal. It always has been. It's always been inherently communal, okay? It's easy in our, our Western American individualistic society to, to think that, that my calling in my faith is to be 100% self-sufficient so that I don't need anybody else. And that's really appealing and I understand it. It's just not what Jesus prays for right here. It's just not what Jesus prays for. That he, he calls us and he sets his priority for us in this prayer. And Jesus' priority for us as his followers is to be deeply connected with him and deeply connected to other believers, to each other. We are deeply connected to him and deeply connected to each other. Everything else he wants for us, everything he wants from us, everything he wants to work from his life, it all flows from those two things that we are connected to him and connected to other believers. And this is what we're gonna look at today, those two connections, our connection with God and our connection with others because they work together and they feed one another. So we'll start by looking at our connection to God and how Jesus prays for that in verse 21 and verse 24. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then jumping to 24, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. See those two key phrases, with me and in me, with me and in me. That's his ultimate goal for everybody who believes in him, that we are with him and in him. See, we are on a journey of withness. We are a journey of growing closer and closer and closer to Jesus, day in and day out, getting more intimate with him, more and more intimate, until one day we will stand physically in his presence and everything that he is will be made known to us. That day is coming. And he prayed that we will have direct access to everything that he is. 
that we have direct access into everything that Jesus is, not just from the outside in, but from the inside out. This is why in John 17, three, earlier in this very same prayer, before he prays for his disciples, before he prays for us, in the beginning of the prayer, he says this, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. See, the Christian life, it's not a moral ideal we attain by our own efforts. It's this ongoing relationship with the king of the universe. And this has always been God's heart. It's not, it wasn't new. In Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24, Jeremiah's an Old Testament prophet. And he says this, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Now, how do you know if someone is kind? Do you know they're kind because you read it in their online dating profile? No, no, you know someone's kind because you've experienced them being kind to you. See, Jesus wants us to be with him because that's how we get to know him, is by being with him. When you think about Jesus, do you think about someone who wants to be with you? Do you think about someone who's blowing up your phone with a bunch of text messages? Do you think about someone who's saying, hey, hey, I want to have lunch with you. Would you come have lunch with me? Would you come over and hang out at my house? Would you come meet my dad? No, come, I want to spend time with you. Do you think about Jesus as someone who genuinely wants to be with you? But you know what? It's not just that he wants to be with you, which is great. He prays that. But he doesn't just pray that we would be with him. He prays, actually, that we are in him. Now, that's a weird prayer. When's the last time you prayed for someone to be in you? We don't pray that. But Jesus, he does, because he wants us to be immersed in him. Jesus' prayer is that we are immersed fully in who he is, immersed in his heart, immersed in his mind, immersed in his priorities, immersed in his spirit, that we are fully immersed in him, aligned with him, participating in him, because there's a difference between knowing about God, studying about God, and actually being in God. How many of you are parents? Is there a difference between studying parenting and being in parenting? (laughs) Yes, there is. How many of you have a car? Is there a difference between studying your car and being in a car? Yes, there's a huge difference. It's not the same thing. Let me illustrate this a little bit, okay? I have here a tent, okay? Now, I can look at this tent, and I can study this tent, and I can observe this tent, and I can say, this tent has an enlarged dome design for additional headroom. Great. I can tell you that it was made by Walmart. I can tell you that it has, uh, you're supposed to fit three people, and I can say all these things about it, but if I want to get in the tent, if I want to get in the tent, you know what I have to do? I got to pick this thing up. I gotta get my hands on it. I have, to, I have to unzip this bag and I have to pull this bad boy, which was a gift from my son at Christmas, by the way, and I have to actually pull it out and I have to begin interacting with it. 
I have to, to look at it. I have to get it into and out of its bag into this space and begin to spread it out and figure out how in the world am I going to set things, this thing up. And I'm going to realize real quick that I need help. So I'm going to ask my son, Joel, who's right there, to come on up and help me. Let's give Joel a round of applause. Okay. And now, if I'm going to set this thing up, you know what? It, it's not just that I, want it, that I have an intention to set it up. I actually then, I have to look at the instructions. And I have to figure out how it gets set up. Because I can't just decide that I want to set it up the way that I want to set it up. Right? I don't get to tell the tent, this is how I'm going to set you up whether you like it or not. If I do that, the tent is going to laugh in my face and I'm going to end up very angry. Right? So I have to pay attention to the way that it's designed and learn how it's designed. And then, as I'm setting it up, something very significant is happening. As I'm setting this thing up, let me go to this side, I'm actually learning important things about both the tent and myself. Because I haven't just read the instructions. If you've ever put something together from Ikea, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm actually learning how to really put it together, right? I'm actually learning, here's where this tent pole goes, and here's how I have to hold my fingers, and here's what this actually has to look like in order to, can you pull a little bit? Thanks, to make that work. And then, eventually, we are going to have a tent that's set up. Look at that! Thank you, Joel. High five. You guys say thanks to Joel. So now, I have a tent, which is great that I have a tent, but just because I have a tent, doesn't mean that I'm in the tent, right? I can stand out here and I can say, look at that tent. It's so great. Look what I did. But no, there's a difference, a huge difference between being outside the tent and being inside the tent, especially if it's raining. Although not in this one because it doesn't have a rain fly on it right now. But so inside the tent, now I get to experience what the tent really is. I get to experience what it's designed for. It keeps me safe, keeps me protected from the weather. It does all of those things now because I'm actually inside of it. And the there's boundaries to the tent. When, when I'm inside the tent, I realize, oh my goodness, there's things. <clears throat> my experience of the world is different when I'm in the tent versus outside the tent. And if I step outside the boundaries of the tent, if I step out here, then it's a whole nother deal. So you learn things. And it's the same way with Jesus. That, that Jesus doesn't want us just to study about him. He doesn't just want us to learn about him, to know facts about him. He wants us to come inside of him to know his heart, to know his mind, to experience what he has for us in our lives. This, by the way, sitting in here, inside Jesus, is where we get our identity from. Because we're surrounded by his love. We're surrounded by his truth. We're surrounded by his grace, by what he says is true about us. We're surrounded by him. And I get my from identity from him. And now, now in this position of being in Jesus, guess what? I start to change. 
Jesus starts to change my heart and start to change my mind. And I get to change from the inside out. Okay, this is why Jesus in John 15 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He doesn't say, if you remain in me, you might maybe bear a little tiny bit of fruit. He says, if you remain in me, if you come inside of me, you dwell inside of me, you will, I promise, you will bear not a little, but much fruit. This is why Jesus calls us to immerse ourselves in him. We have, for each of our, those nine roles that we talked about, we have a statement that clarifies what they are. I wanna read to you what the follower statement says. And again, it's in your journals. It says this, we are all in. We are all in. We put all of ourselves in that tent. Holding nothing back, we will pursue his presence, prioritize his word, and align every part of our lives with his loving leadership. This is what we do when we gather on Sunday mornings. We're saying we're all in. We're gathering. We're immersing ourselves in Jesus when we sing worship songs to God, when we study God's word which you can do, by the way, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week through the journals. Also, we have a Bible reading plan in the journals. If you look, there's a, a reading plan just like this. That If you wanna go deep in the Bible, there's lots of ways to do that. And if you don't have a journal, you don't have one with you and you wanna read the Bible, this is always available on our website. If you go to our website in the bottom right hand, you see there's the little circle around reading plan. You can go right there, click on that, and you can see a reading plan. Because I know that reading the Bible can sometimes be intimidating. You don't know where to start. So there's a reading plan to get you started to say, here's how we can experience and immerse ourselves in Jesus. Now, I know this tent in some ways is a poor analogy because the tent is entirely passive. And there's not really a lot about this tent that you look at and say, yeah, I want to live in there. But, but Jesus pursues us actively. And being in Jesus, you have everything you need for life. There's another way, though, that we immerse ourselves in Jesus, not just reading and, and gathering, which is all great things. But it's that second connection that he prayed for, that, that, that we are called to connect with other believers. Picking up in verse 20, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I in you, so that they may be brought to complete unity. So not only does Jesus want us to be immersed in him, he wants us to unite ourselves with other people who are immersed in him. In other words, Jesus' prayer is that we unite ourselves with other believers. That's what he's saying, that you, we, we unite ourselves with other believers. And it's important when we talk about unity that we know we're not talking about uniformity. That Jesus is not talking about absorption here. That, that I lose all of my sense of who I am and I just become a carbon copy of somebody else. No, we don't find our identity in other people. We find our identity in Jesus. And Jesus is our tent, not anybody else. But we connect with other people. We have the same priorities and, and purpose as other believers. In Romans 12, four, it says this, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to the others. Diversity is great. 
It's okay for us to have diversity, but we are united in our purpose and in our mission and in our priorities. We are taking orders from the same person. In Galatians 3, 26, it says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. To be one in Christ means our community, the defining characteristic of who we are and what we bond together in is our faith in Jesus. That all the other worldly labels, race, gender, social status, all of those are eradicated in the presence of Jesus. This is incredibly, some of you are clapping because you know how radical this is. You know how crazy this is that you can have people who are for vaccines and against vaccines and they can still be friends in Jesus. Because Jesus calls us and says we get to be one in him. Do you know what a testimony it can be? This is why Jesus says when we, when we realize this, then they will know that Jesus is real and know who he is because our unity is a testimony. Do you know how crazy it is? Go on, go on Facebook, go on social media and see how many people who are on polar opposite of, the, of, the, of, the, of whatever spectrum you wanna, you wanna put out there are still friends guess what? You can disagree with me on politics. You can disagree with me on vaccines. You can disagree on, on a lot of things, and I will still love you. In Christ. Jesus, what he's talking about is, hey, who's in your tent with you? Who's the people who share the same priorities, the same passion for me as you do? Who's in that tent with you. We're in the same family. We belong to each other. Jesus, do you know Jesus? Jesus, this is what this means. Jesus prayed for you to have godly friends. That's what he, see, he said, this is like what every parent prays for their child, right? He said, I want you to have godly friends because he knows that godly friends who are in the tent with you will keep you in the tent. And if all of your friends are people outside of the tent and that's who you're giving your heart to all the time, eventually you're gonna start putting your toe outside of that tent or maybe your foot or maybe your knee or maybe your body. This is important to Jesus that he's so important to Jesus that he prays for us to have godly friends. Not just hang out and have fun friends, which are good, but how's your heart? Where are you with Jesus, friends? Why is this so important to him? Because other believers is one of the primary ways we connect to Jesus. It's one of the primary ways we immerse ourselves in him. So you, you read there in, in uh, John 17, 21 to 23, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are, in, as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. So not only are we called to go into the tent, not only do we have friends with us in the tent, but we ourselves are a tent. That's what Jesus says right here, that he is in us. And it says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 
Do you not know that your bodies, and he's not being metaphorical, your physical bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You know what this means? That when we interact with other believers, we have the opportunity to interact with Jesus. When we interact with other people who believe in Jesus, they are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We have the opportunity to interact with that Holy Spirit. How many of you know someone who's a follower of Jesus? All of you do, because now you all know me. Hi, my name's Jan, it's nice to meet you. I'm a follower of Jesus, okay? If you know someone who's a follower of Jesus, every time you have an interaction with them, there's an opportunity, an opportunity to connect with your Lord and Savior. So if you have a spouse, a parent, a brother, a sister, which by the way, brothers and sisters and brethren, sometimes that's the hardest people to connect with Jesus through. I know because I have six kids. And I love them all. If you have a cousin, if you have a crazy uncle, if you have a coworker, if you have someone you knew in college who, who, who believes in Jesus, then every time you have a conversation with them, every time you interact with them, there's an opportunity for you to interact with Jesus, for Jesus to, it's, it's, it's funny to me that I'll meet people who, two, two people or three people who, they, they are good friends, they've hung out, they've known each other for years, they've, they've, they've gone to lunch together and everything, and, and they're both believers, and they've never had a conversation about their faith. They've never asked, hey, how can I pray for you? Don't you see what an amazing opportunity you have? Don't you see what a blessing fellowship is with other believers? That you have the opportunity to be encouraged and strengthened by, your, by the Holy Spirit and by your heavenly Father by, virt by virtue of that other person. This is why we say that, that families should be the primary place where we encounter the love and truth of Jesus. Yeah, that, that our families should be that primary place where we encounter the love and truth of Jesus. That, that our friends should be a place, our, our believing friends, because Jesus is talking about believers here, that our believing friends should be a place where we experience the love. And now, does that mean that every time you talk to one of those people, it has to be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. No, that's not what I'm saying, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But if, if you believe that your Lord and Savior, that God incarnate lives in that other person, don't you want to tap into that? Don't you want to allow that to have fruit in your life? Imagine if we were a church that walked this out. If we were a church where families, that was the primary place where we encounter love and truth of Jesus, where friends are building up each other in the face where people, in their faith, and people come in and we meet new people. And we're like, you're a follower of Jesus? Awesome. Tell me your story. Tell me about what that's been like for you. I mean, how many of you were here for last week's service with our top 10? And we had an awesome opportunity to hear from people some stories of what God is, in do is, is doing. If you want to experience those things, you experience them in the context of community, being in relationship with other believers. So I, I want to wrap up with an invitation because every time we come to God and every time we study his word, he always gives us an invitation. He's always inviting us to realize our role in his story more fully. So my invitation to you today is, is to get into a group of people who will represent Jesus in your lives. 
And so we, 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 we want to encourage you to do that, and we have ways for you to do that. We have this thing going on today called Group Up, which is out in the lobby. All those tables are out there. Different people who lead different groups. These are communities of people who are saying, we want to be here so we can represent Jesus in your life. We have women's group. We have an empty nesters group. We have a young adults group. We have all kinds of different groups that you can step into and join. My wife is starting a discipleship group on Sunday mornings. You can come to that. Sign up for that. We have our men's ministry, which is starting men's ministry on Thursday night. All kinds of groups, a great way. Men, look, the reality is that men, we struggle to make friends, we, especially as adults. We struggle to have deep, abiding friendships with other men. This is a great way Thursday nights to come and connect with other men and get some men around you who will hold up your arms, who will carry you on your shoulder, their shoulders when, they, when you need it. The men you can be real with about what's going on in your life. And men who will draw you closer to your heavenly father. So in a minute, I'm gonna pray. And, and our prayer team's gonna be up here as well if you wanna pray with them individually. But I encourage you to head out to the group up, to the different tables, meet people, talk to them, sign up. You can sign up for more than one just to test it out and see what the right fit is for you. But group up. Would you pray with me? Lord, I just... Um, I just thank you, God, because I, I get to look out and see not just these faces and these people that are here, but I get to look out and see these temples of the Holy Spirit and say that there are, there are men and women here today who are in you, and because they are in you, you are in them. And, and, and you might want to speak to me through them. You might want to guide me through them. So I thank you for that, God. And I know that you wanna use them to guide each other. You wanna use them to encourage each other, to strengthen each other, to correct each other when needed, God. That, that God, this is our prayer, that you would be the defining characteristic of our community. You would bind us. You would hold us together. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you guys for coming. We'll see you out there.